Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mac, Jack, and Jim This Week in Sports Sunday Show. We're live on Roku TV, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, legendary boxing writer, Hall of Famer, and our historian on the show, Jack Hirsch, and, of course, our legend, two-time Super Bowl winner, best defensive end in Dallas Cowboy history, Jim Jeff Cope. Guys, I, I want to make the news too. Yes, well, we'll we'll, we'll get to that, but I want to I want to first thank all the uh, viewers, the listeners, and the and all the shares that we got last week. As Mac, Jack, and Jim this week in sports broke all our records and views on YouTube. So, folks, thanks for watching. Continue sharing, and let's see if we can get up there near the top. That would be great. So I want to thank you all for doing that for us. Jim, what's your breaking news you have? On Pro Football Talk, there is talk that there's the owners are counting votes with a possible outskirts yes. of Daniel Snyder. Yes, and we will we will get that to later in the show. I saw that, Jim. But, yes. and well, of course, we got a lot of big news. We got the, the NBA championship we'll be talking about later. We got the NHL standings. <laughs> And the playoffs we'll be talking about later. But I want to get to what was amazing to me. You know, I, I produced the JMB Talking Shop show. Yes. And the rookie camp has gotten over with the OTAs. And the yes. veterans are coming in this week. And Jim shared a story on JMB <laughs> about when he was in rookie camp. And, of course, they're battling. You know, he was a first-round draft pick, and they're battling for positions and everything. And there's a story about a parking lot that Jim shared that even Byron Williams didn't know about. Jack was excited to hear about it, wants to hear more detail. And so do I, Jim, because to me, when this big guy next to us gets physical with somebody, there's bad <laughs> results for the other person. Oh, boy. So, Jim, well, why, don't you, why don't you tell us about the parking lot and uh, rookie camp? Well, uh, what happened in rookie camp was um, at when we go to camp, there were 125 players in there, and guys were fighting for positions. So there was a offensive lineman from the University of Arizona, Arizona State, and the University of Arizona are 100 miles apart, and they're fierce rivals. It's a fierce uh, rivalry in there. They call it the Territorial Cup. So we, he was a left tackle and I was a right end and we were practicing against uh, each other. And um, I was getting the best of him and his offensive line coach, a gentleman named Jim Myers was all over him and I was beating him every play. He couldn't block me. So after practice, I don't know what, I don't know what possessed him we were in the locker room and he um, tried to attack me. First of all, he made the worst mistake. I'm from New Jersey and you learn to fight early. He's from Canada. You know, they're drinking that old, whatever they call it, kind of beer. <laughs> he, comes, <laughs> and he didn't take his cleats off, Jack. And he, he came straight at me 
And I just took one step back and broke his nose. So I got in, uh, Coach Landry, the head coach at that time, called me in and said, you can't be breaking your teammates' nose. And then uh, the guy I loved the most was Ernie Stockner, who's a Hall of Famer and a great guy. And he was my D-line coach. So he comes over and puts his arm around me, and I'm thinking he's going to give me some fatherly advice. And he told me, basically, that if I break another teammate's nose, he's going to hit me in the head with a two-by-four. So I told, I told him, I said, Ernie, we speak the same language. And I said, we're going to get along just fine. And Dad had a good laugh on it. And well, he's attacking you. What What were you supposed to do? He's I know. I was you. defending myself. He was attacking me. But Chris, was. we became good friends. And uh, unfortunately, he died last year. And he was a, you know, he was just trying to compete. Yes. And he apologized for it. He was competing. He was upset because the offensive line coach was – Riding them pretty hard. Did did he make the team, Jim? Yes, he did. All right, good. So all of, all. Of, go ahead, Jack. Actually, he was an announcer up in um for TSN up in Canada for many years. How hard is it to decondition yourself? In other words, if you have this big rivalry in college, and now you're teammates, and you were taught basically to hate the other guy, and now all of a sudden he's your teammate. Doesn't it take a little while to accept them and to drop that old rivalry that you had? Eh, not really. I, I, you think about it, and you're teammates now. And that happens because what's interesting is when you're on the same team, it changes. And that happens in every sport. These are You're fighting for the same thing, the win. So you take away those college rivalries, and they become you become a lot of the guys I played against in college, John Elway. You know, we were rivals on the field, but we're good friends and Marino and guys like that. And, you know, you play against them, but that was just at that time. So, so Jim, I, I've heard other players talk that the coaches sometimes even incite the players to fight. Some coaches did. Yes. But when they went to another team, the rules were different. So when they went to start a fight, all of a sudden they're getting punished. So I don't know about your experiences, you know, going around and scrimmaging other teams and, and playing against. Were there coaches at the time that you played that that you heard from other players that actually tried to incite fights on yeah, the field? Was, and you're right, because when we played the Raiders, was, which was interesting in it, because the Raiders and the Cowboys were very different at that time. The Raiders were truly outlaws. But what's interesting, if we started fighting in practice against the Raiders, then Al Davis would call off practice. He'd let it go on maybe one or two, and then that's it. He wouldn't let it go on anymore. He'd call off practice. And this is Al Davis, who yeah. was basically GM. This is when he wasn't the coach. And he'd just say practice is over. because we always always Jim, mixed feelings about two, team, two, two teams practicing with one another because now you could pick up some tendencies of the other team, maybe get a little edge. I'm sure you as a player – could sometimes get a little edge, you know, what the weakness could be in advance. It's even better than game film. Well, a lot of times that is true, but a lot of times we didn't play the Raiders, but every four years, if you remember. We didn't play them in maybe in the preseason, so those tendencies didn't always stay true. Um, we practiced in Buffalo uh, against Pittsburgh and didn't even have an issue. Not one fight, not one uh Thing that happened, we just practice against them, and it's I just heard, like you said, 
I heard I heard Jim that Buddy Ryan was known to get hey, the players fighting on practice all the time. And yeah. uh, you know, and 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 the players that left that team, this is where I'm getting from, you know, went to another team and they started, you know, fighting and, and the the coach said get you know get off the field and maybe find them. So I mean it's crazy how different coaches approach uh, uh, practice. I mean, I guess you want to get the blood flowing, but you well, even games because Buddy Ryan had the bounty bowl, and they find Greg Williams from that. But Buddy Ryan was one of the ones who originally started. He had bounties on certain players. Sure, sure. You no, know, it was ironic. Buddy Ryan's mentor was Weeb Eubank, who gave him his first job in the NFL. Oh, People really? forget Buddy Ryan was a key defensive coach on the Jets Super Bowl. You know, winning. I didn't team. even know that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Him along with Walt Michaels. I mean, they basically wow. devised the defensive strategy. So he revered Weeb Eubank. And once they asked Buddy Ryan, the media, about trying something new, and he said it was totally ridiculous. He wouldn't even consider it. And then they told him Weeb Eubank thinks it would be a good idea. And then Buddy Ryan says, well, if Weeb says it, it's good enough for me. We'll try it. That's how much he revered Weeb Eubank. So, folks, they there you go so far with it. The camp talking. Weave you bank, and that's why we have Jack. He was a jet. He was a jet. As much as I, I hate him, I, I have understand. a soft spot in my I heart from as much as I hate Buddy Ryan. Okay. Oh, well, that's fine, Jack. I'm just saying that's why we have He was him. with our only Super because, Bowl team. Because you're you you know these little gems that a lot of people don't. No, that's a good yeah. yeah, it is. Backstage right now, TGI Sports Talk host Keith Angle. Who does a great show on his own? At, 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 on his show, he's on uh, with us on Sundays. So let's bring Keith up before he gets his show and talk to him a little about about the Yankees, a little bit about Knicks, and a little bit about the Patriots. All interesting. Oh, wow. How about the Red Sox? Well, Ooh. we'll talk about the Red Sox when we got a Red Sox commentator on. Um, so, how you doing this morning, Keith? Good. How are you guys today? Surviving the heat wave, I hope. I've got to ask Keith about the Josh Donaldson situation. Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that will, that's part of the Yankees news. So yeah, let's get good. to let's get to the game last night. First, the Yankees win last night seven to five. Their record is now twenty-nine and ten. Stanton goes three for four. LeMayu gets four RBIs. So uh the hitting comes through as Stanton is kind of getting a little hot again. And DJ is driving in runs. Um, so uh, Cortez went, only went five innings, uh, gives up six hits and three yeah. runs. A, a bad performance by him, according to his standards he's already set. So uh, yeah. before we get to uh, Donaldson, uh, what what do you think about the game last night? Well, you know, it's funny. We by today's standards, that's like a quality start, you know, which is, you know, <laughs> but it's it's funny. The standards are much lower than they were years ago. I think it's it, the Yankees need to be able to win games where they don't get great pitching. Obviously, Stanton playing well. It's just one of the few times that Stanton and, and Judge have played together that they've been, you know, clicking at the same time, and you can see the difference that it makes for the Yankees and why injuries are are still as they loom out there right it, staying healthy is going to be so important for this team because they need those two guys especially as you don't have hitting from you know three to other spots in the lineup so mm-hmm. again another nice win for the Yankees uh the bullpen pitch well bad news with Chad Green potentially right. uh, going to have surgery that's not good news for the bullpen um other news Clay Holmes is uh, now sharing it looks like uh, the ninth inning duties with Chapman because he's pitching so well so 
we'll see how that works out. He's pitched really, really well this year, and he's pitched well since he came over from Pittsburgh uh, yes, last yes. year. So yes, yes. Uh, Twenty-one innings in a row, no one scored off. Him. Yeah, he's they sustained this twenty-nine and ten. I mean, they're best record in baseball. Listen, you know, I, I, I've been off so far, and I continue to be off. And like I said before, I was rooting against my own predictions. So good for the Yankees. Keep rolling. Yes. So let's get to the, the the little thing that I think they made really big in the news, and they always do, right, in sports. Donaldson calls, uh, you know, the the third – is it the third baseman or the second – the shortstop? Shortstop, Tim Anderson. Shortstop, Tim Anderson. Anderson, yeah. right. Uh, Jackie, referring to Jackie Robinson, which referred to what he called himself in an article in 2019, that he was a new Jackie Robinson. So I guess they've been kind of fooling around with it for a while now, and this time, uh, Anderson took exception to it. What are your thoughts, Keith? Well, you know, again, let me preface my thoughts with, you know, I have no illusions that racism still exists in this country, right? And there are issues to be dealt with. This doesn't feel like one to me. I don't know. Um, you guys could have other opinions. You know, again, the first the first thing that strikes me is, I didn't know, I don't remember this article in SI, uh, that Tim Anderson referred himself to as a new Jackie Robinson, which in itself is a ridiculous comment to make in my mind, in my mind. Yeah. Um, so I'm not I, sure whether he said that, Keith, exactly. I'm the new Jackie Robinson. That's, that's what he said, Jack. That was, that's what he was, was quoted. Yes, he was quoted as saying exactly that. And again, I don't know the context of what the rest of the article was, and I should read it before I really dive into that. But to take, if I take Josh Donaldson at his word and they've, They've said this before to each other. He said it to him, and, and Anderson's laughed it off. Why he takes exception to it now, I don't know. I can see that, again, if you take it from the context that I do, that it's a bit ridiculous that he refers himself as a new Jackie Robinson, and a player calls himself Jackie a little bit sarcastically. That stuff's going to go on on the field all the time. You know what's? You know what really – I have to believe this is classic Tony La Russa. That has fanned the flames of this because this has been going on for a little while, and they had an altercation last week. And I gotta believe that Larusa has been flaming this for the last week. So trying to because his team's playing lackadaisical, he's looking for something to fire him up, and this smells a lot like Tony Larusa fanning the flames. No, you no, know guys. Who, uh, yeah, Jim. No, I say you know who uh, Larusa's good friend is, Bill Parcells. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I think we're missing the point. This is much part of a bigger picture. If you recall last season, Josh Donaldson was calling pitches out for their spin on the ball, doing something illegally. He called out one of the White Sox pitches, as well as Garrett Cole of the Yankees. That's when he was on the Twins. When yeah. he crossed home plate last year after hitting a home against the White Sox, he let out a shout. It was kind of classless by Donaldson. He claimed he wasn't mocking the White Sox, but come on. Yeah. And then the White Sox pitcher, I think Rendon, said it was – he criticized Josh Donaldson for his act. Josh, And he said if Josh Donaldson has an argument with him, he should speak to him personally. So Josh Donaldson goes into the White Sox locker room by there to try to confront the White Sox pitcher last year. So I think that set the table. Yeah. And, and, and then they had the game early in the year where Josh Donaldson applied a tag that Anderson thought was too hard, was building up. My point is this. With all the tensions, 
why say anything like, hey, Jackie, like that? The guy's not your buddy at this point. Maybe a I don't disagree. Again, that, that's the other I side think of it. Donaldson fueled the flames. You, you want to argue it's racial or not? I think the big issue is, is Donaldson fueling the flames in this? And I kind of felt he was. Just shut your mouth. And if you want to make peace later on, there's a way to do it, but not on the field, joking with a guy who's really ticked off at you like it is. Yeah, the, the awkward part for me here is I don't really want to be in a position of defending Josh Donaldson. I've never been a Josh Donaldson fan. I find him to be a very chippy ball player. He had a lot of problems with the Yankees. I go back to 2015 or so when uh, he was with the Blue Jays, and there was a series where he got – he thought he was getting thrown at and it was ridiculous the situations they wouldn't have been thrown at him and he's charging a mount he's yelling at guys and that's just the way Johnson he's been chippy player his entire career so I don't doubt Jack again he doesn't he doesn't come off blameless here because it, it doesn't need to get said at all I agree but again I think there's a little bit of stuff going on on both sides as I said I think you got Larusa fan and the flames on one side and you got a guy who likes to have his fame his flame fanned in Johnson so or yeah, perfect storm perfect storm yeah. Nick, the Knicks got the 11th pick in the lottery. The lottery to me is unceremonious. I, I got my th thoughts on that because I think it's it delays the the excitement. But anyway, the Knicks are at the 11th spot. And what people are talking about there is a center that might be available from Arizona, a Jalen Darren Keith. I know you know a lot about the college basketball scene. Tell us a little bit about Jalen Darren, if you can. Well, I don't know that much about him, but I do know that, you know, um, <laughs> the way the game is played today, I don't know that you have to have a classic center that plays. Uh, and, and I think he plays more of a classic center game than than some of the other guys in the NBA today. So, again, the Knicks, I think, I think where they go here, and I don't think, know if they're going to get a chance to make any moves before the draft, but I would like to see them do that. Uh, because I don't, how do you know who you need to draft before you know what your, your roster is going to look like before the season starts? You know, as far as the center position goes, I don't know that it's that important in the way that Tom Thibodeau wants to play uh, basketball. You need a defensive guy, a guy to protect the rim. You don't need a guy who can score, uh, which he can. Uh, you know, he, he's had a pretty good offensive uh, game in college, whether it will transfer to the uh, uh <laughs> to the NBA is another question, right? We see that all the time, especially in big men. Uh, so I think it's a, I think it's a dangerous choice and and who knows, maybe the Knicks decide to trade out of that spot. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be worth, you know, cause the NBA draft is to me, it's the biggest crapshoot of any of the drafts. It seems at least uh, in recent history. So I think the Knicks need to, to hash out a few things and see what they really need at that spot before they lock in a, on a center. Um, on a team that wasn't very well, I shouldn't say it wasn't very good, but I don't know. Maybe he's been wrapped up in some of the other stuff going on out there at Arizona too. I don't really know the situation, and I'll have to get up on it a little more. With all the things going on in sports, the the draft, the NBA draft, just kind of snuck up on me. Right. I typically agree with you, uh, Keith, but look at what happened in uh, last night with Boston, with Bam Adebayo at the center playing well, and yeah. then Golden State. They, Golden State came back because of their center, and nobody expected that. So a center is still because everybody's yeah. playing five out offenses. Yeah, 
the game's the, the the lineups have gotten smaller. So I guess if you can get exactly. good at that position, right, you can take advantage of it as we did see last exactly. night. So that's a great point, actually. Well, I mean, I was just, you know, this is what the buzz is all about at that possible spot. Alan says that uh, most of the top big men might be gone by that. I don't know. He might be right. <clears throat> but that's as close as uh, they could get as far as the Knicks stay pat. Yeah, they had like a 2% chance of getting in the top five or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so that's that's the only reason I bought that out. So, so No, I just was saying he makes a good point. Thibodeau's better with veterans. And that's what it is. And Thibodeau's probably gonna try to leverage that and try to get a veteran at that center. Good, it's a, it is a good point. It is a good point. And of course we know the Knicks need help everywhere. So the, well, how much you know, how much power does Thibodeau really have? That is During true. the season they traded for Cam Reddish and he didn't seem to be Thibodeau's type of player. So it's hard to believe that Thibodeau approved of that deal. Are they giving well, Thibodeau a lot of say in this draft? Are they just drafting the play and Thibodeau has to live with them? I think what you what you saw last year with the with the decisions the Knicks made about this roster without including Thibodeau, I don't think a lot in those conversations. You see what happened. They just totally destroyed the team chemistry from the year before, and they need to include him in these conversations. They don't have to go. He doesn't have to have the last word, but they need to include him in these conversations. Oh, definitely. That's who you're working with. That only makes sense. That's what every good organization does. So let's 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 talk a little bit about the Patriots. Uh, the Patriots, Julian Edelman, of course, retired. He is now kind of making a circuit and talking. He, he had a couple stories about Bill Belichick, which is uh, always, uh, you know, people want to hear about this. So first he talked about what he called Bill Tube. At the end of practice, when the players made mistakes, Bill Belichick would rewind it four times to that mistake in front of the team after practice, and he would make comments like a high school kid could make that catch, blah, blah, blah. And then he would rewind it some more, another four times, and make some more comments and kind of demean the player. Now, I know a lot of coaches have their different styles and different ways of doing things. I have no problem with what Bill Belichick does if he thinks that's right, the team is running right. But it may give you some insight of why some former players – did not enjoy playing for Bill Belichick. Well, I agree. And, you know, coaching has changed over the years, like a lot of things in sports. I mean, this wouldn't even have been blinked at, you know, 30 years ago. I mean, coaches coach like this. They belittle players, try to get the best out of them. How about Bill Parcells? We talked about Bill Parcells a little bit earlier. He would do the same type of thing and and call, call him out in the press as well, which Belichick doesn't really do, by the way. He does this behind closed doors, at least. Yes, in front of the rest of the team, but he doesn't air that dirty laundry to the press for the most part. But you can understand if you're there, look at this is one of the re reasons uh, probably that Brady decided to leave. He got tired of that type because Brady was always a, 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 a going to be pointed out because he was the leader of the team. He was a star, and Belichick wanted to make sure that Nobody was above that type of criticism. Well, don't you think Brady was a personnel decisions that bothered him, him not being included in the process? I think that uh, bothered him a lot more. Well, there was a whole lot of things, but I don't think it was personnel necessarily. He did everything he took. What can he do? He gives money back to it restructures his contract so they can go out and get guys. That's it. But, you know, it, it wore on Brady, I think, and he didn't want to deal with that anymore. And I, I get it, you know, but I can't also say that, 
Belichick, that his his way has not been successful. I mean, six Super Bowl trophies in 20 years speaks to his Listen, ways of Keith, Keith, when we interviewed Phil Simms, he said the same thing. Parcells would step up to him and say, I'm really proud of you, son. You're doing a great job. And he would say, oh, thank you, coach. And he says, but, you know, I've got to ride you the whole practice today. And, and you know, this is how they – if they go after their stars uh, somewhat, then the rest of the players say, well – He's just like us, and it becomes more team. I get it. But not the two schools of thought. Let me finish that. But I also think that sometimes the other, the reverse works just as well. Um, you know that that you've got you've got to have a balance, and you got to know your players, and you got to know how to to get them motivated. Yeah, and I think The good coaches know what buttons to push. I think Belichick does know which guys to push which button with. With two, doubt he pushes the same buttons with Edelman as he pushed with Brady or other guys. So, but but, but Mac Bart Starr said that Vince Lombardi got on him in front of the rest of the team, and he sat down with Vince Lombardi afterwards in private and said, "If you want me to be a leader of this team, you can't diminish me in front of the other players." And he said Lombardi never did it again. So they're like they're different styles. There yeah. you go. And, and there's a player maybe making concerns that no other player did. So, I mean, you know, again, this is something that, that all coaches do in one way or another. And I know Jim yeah. knows as well as anybody. Certain yeah. players need to be kicked in the butt. And certain player, players need to be coddled. You mean yeah. a lot of times when you're – Yeah, a lot of times when you're a head coach or a position coach, you're, you're like a psychology major. you got to understand your players – and what motivates them and how to motivate them. Some guys you can hard coach. Some guys you got to coach different to get yeah. the best out of them. Jimmy Johnson and Coach Landry were – they were massive. Mark Levy was incredible in that too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, 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 You know, it's funny. You go back to Parcells. Sim and Sims had some very famous uh, uh, dust-ups right on the sideline during uh, Monday Night Football games. And, you know, that's just – and that motivated Phil Sims. I'm sure that's what he said. I don't remember the whole interview – uh, which was very good, by the way, guys. Um, Phil Simms, that I, I got to believe that helped motivate him in those games. And, well, and he, the thing was, was Parcells let him know what he was doing before he did yeah. it, which really made sense. So, Keith, one other story by uh, uh, Edelman that I never heard of before, which he also talked about, is when Bill Belichick was in the hot tub and he climbed in with him naked. So, I mean, <laughs> so I mean, you know, there is there is some fun with it too that he's having with it and i could imagine bill belichick's reaction to that so i've been I trying mean, to forget about that story since i heard it first so thank you for bringing it up again no keith i want to tell you uh we're going to do a piece with robert butler of course after you're gone i advise you to come back after your show's done and watch it because we got something that's going to blow everybody away uh, we'll uh-huh. talk to Robert Butler about uh, college sports, which I know is a is a is a passion of yours. It and, is. Uh, I, I mean, it's going to blow the walls down as Jack Hirsch comes up with an incredible idea, and I'm starting to find a way to implement. It. So <laughs> it's going right, to be watching. It's a lot of. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, I'll, folks, I'll turn you guys on as I get ready for my show here. <laughs> so. Keith Angle from TGI Sports Talk. Folks, you got to check out his show. Incredible show. He has Carlos the Mad New Yorker with him. He has a lot of great guests. They talk a lot about great stuff. So anytime you get a chance, tune into TGI Sports. Keith, have a great day, and we'll see you soon.
Tell Robert, by the way, I may have to reach out to him about this and get him on those, the football huddle show. So Okay, all right. Well, well I think you'll be uh, pleasant. In fact, Robert doesn't even know what's coming. How's that? Oh, yeah. So, Jim, you, uh, you will be all into this. We'll oh, my you. God. We'll see you this later. This is a Mac and Jack idea? Now I'm really oh, scared. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I stumbled into it. Yes, he did. We'll be, so we'll let Keith go and bring on Robert Butler. Have a great Sunday, Keith. And we'll talk to you later. Don't forget about the promo. Absolutely. I'll talk to you a little bit about it. I think we're good, though. Okay. All right. All right. Have a great Sunday, Keith. So Keith Angle with uh, TGI Sports. As I said, next up, our Sunday show, commentator who gives us all the opinions, hot news, has a sports fan tracker all over the place. Robert Butler, the best dressed man on Northeast streaming sports. Let's bring him up and see what's going on with Robert. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, folks, I kind of give Robert a heads up of what we're going to talk about before we talk about it so he's prepared. He gets all the information ready, very professional. Well, I held one thing back from him this week because I want to get his instant response from But before we get to that, Robert – Again, Robert Butler, Sports Scope, all over the place, folks, on every social media platform. Just look for Sports Scope with a K, and you'll find Robert and all his great shows. So, Robert, let's start with Nick Saban and the NIL. Nick Saban comes out, says, hey, listen, this is not working, right? Other yeah. teams are are buying players, and we don't do that. We give them money when they get there. And, of course, he's having this big meeting in front of – uh, you know, uh, in, in front of the Alabama store and company owners, as he's sending mixed signals. But he called out a couple of teams. Um, yeah. And 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 is he right, Robert? Is he right about the way the NIL is affecting recruiting? Uh, technically, yes. I mean, it, it's you, you're supposed to get that uh, endorsement after you're playing at the. Uh, for, for the for the team, it's not supposed to be a recruiting tool, but it's one of the biggest jokes in the sport. We knew this is what direction it was going to go in. I said to you guys on this program, we started talking about this in the early days of NIL, that yes. this is going to be the the panic phase, the my hair is on fire, are the kids going to go crazy with the money because they're really young, uh, are there going to be some crazy recruiting violations come of this? And uh, knock on wood, so far we haven't had a, heard a horror story of the young athletes having those issues. But this is already becoming an issue. Uh, he knows that he was out of line. for, uh, And he actually uh, apologized for this later that day on XM Radio. But, uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher, this reminds me, uh, Jim and Jack, of the Bill Parcells Bill Belichick, when Parcells was with Dallas, you remember that? Mm -hmm. They couldn't even look at each other during the game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of of coaches are firing back, Robert, and saying this is sour grapes, right? The Alabama had all the breaks in the world. They get all the best recruits. And now teams using this, and and they're not – they're saying we're taking – they're not saying they're not doing it, okay? They're just saying we're 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 working with what we got. There's supposed to be rules that NCA can't enforce. The Supreme Court just threw it out there and said, "Go at it." So, 
a lot of a lot of coaches are firing back saying, "Ah, this is Saban just because he's had his way so long. Now he doesn't have his way, and now he's just complaining about it." I think that is definitely it. Because <laughs> uh, Saban's a very uh, strong competitor, guys, and and you know he's uh, Texas A and M have one of the better classes of all time, even though he finished second. You would think that Alabama didn't finish in the top 25, but this is Saban's – this is his uh, – you know, the bar is really high for Nick Saban. Yeah, and, but – Go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry, Robert. The system now – and they can't do anything about it, but it's not yeah. sustainable. Right. It is not sustainable of what they're doing because what's going to happen is – let's be honest. Teams like USC, Texas, Texas A&M, even Georgia and Florida – are going to have always have the advantage because they have alumni that have more money. Let's be honest. Yeah. That's going to make them valuable because they can go out. And if you're a kid and you're living just like the, uh, some of these kids, yeah. they're living at poverty levels and somebody offers you $3 million. I mean, yeah. are they going to turn it down? Probably not. And let's be honest. And they, but I just don't think it's sustainable and it's going to hurt college sports. And it's going to hurt college players because they don't understand. You still go to college to get an education. They're not going yeah. to get an education. Now they're going well, to go do the best deal. Well, so me and Jack are discussing it during the show during the week. And we're saying, you know, with the with the NIL and the portal, it's like, it's like football NFL free agency or basketball yeah. free agency, basically, yeah. right? Because you're working out your own deals. Again. So Jack says, well – why not have a college draft? High now, school. No. A high school draft. A college, wait a minute, Jim. Let's, 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 let's think about this for a minute. If they want to be professionals, if this is the way it is, to make it even for all the teams, for no unfair advantages, and the college players just going there on a football or a basketball scholarship, that's it. They're not going there for education. They didn't get a scholarship for education. They're going there just to play football or basketball. Let's treat them like professionals. Let's have a draft. Now, of course, to me, it's an outstanding idea, guys. Yeah. And before we get to a little bit of the implementation, because it, it would take forever for me to go over my rules here. But yeah. I want to get your first Jim says no at first, but Jim, think about it. They're professionals now. That's what they are. The four major sports have a draft. By law, they can do this. And you going to the Dallas Cowboys, you didn't have a choice. You, If you don't go to Dallas Cowboys, you're out of the draft. You can't say, well, I, well I don't, I'm not going there. I'm going to go play for the Kansas City Chiefs. You had no right. He could have gone to the USFL, Jim. But besides, well, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So what makes a college player, the high school player, any better than any other professional athlete? What do you think, Rob? Well, I guess it would have to be Division One. Uh, it wouldn't be Division Two or Three or something like that, doing a, a draft model like that. That, that would be interesting. Uh, there's crazier things that have been proposed. Uh, essentially, when you get a uh, scholarship, that's kind of like being. That's like that's like an offer, you know. That that is that is an opportunity to be drafted. Uh, what if a player doesn't want to go to the team he's drafted? 
How does the transfer portal work? Would that have to be a year or two afterwards? There would be a lot of logistics to, to work out and something like that. But I do believe there'll be some kind of guardrails put on this uh, at some point. And, and we'll probably have to get leadership involved as far as Congress and everything, just like we had the uh, the 9-0 for the antitrust. And I do think that, you know, these players should get some kind of NIL endorsement. And that's – you know, Go ahead, Robert. No, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, like, people – like, if you're a saxophone player and you're in college and someone wants to give you – a commercial with, with, with the with, uh, American Express commercial or something, or or if you're an actor in, in, in college and you get a role, uh, there and you could still finish school. You see, so it's it's just sports that do that. So I can understand where the actual antitrust part is coming from. So, but, uh, so a draft would be interesting. So Jack, Jim, yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you going a little bit more on this. So Jim, you're like, uh, listen, Jim. At 18 years old, you could be drafted. If they bring it back, you can be drafted in the military. You are a man. All right. According to the United States government, you're a man. So if these college players and if the 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 Supreme Court says, yes, you guys are now professional, you can make money off your name, you can make endorsements, you can have an agent, you are now a professional athlete. You can go in a portal. You can claim free agency, basically. There's got to be rules. I say the NCA comes in, goes to the Supreme Court, files an antitrust uh, uh, law, and begins a draft. And this way, no team has advantages, and I'll give you a base to work off of. There are 132 Division I schools, football. There's 152 Division I basketball schools. So listen to the beginning of this, Jen. So the top 30 teams, like in football and basketball, get four rounds or five rounds. That's the first part of the draft. And then it goes down to the next 30 until they're done. So if a player does not want to participate in the first round, which would go to the top 30 schools, he can go into the second round. That's his choice. What do you think, Jim? I mean, think about it for a second. Here's what you're saying, and this would be a better one. Baseball did it right. They have the minor leagues. If you're going to do this, you might as well have minor leagues in football. Let them go play football then. And then they have – then they can – guys that want to go to college can go to college, have a minor league division, and that would well, be – then have a draft. That's what the USFL, XFL, and CFL is. If you yes, choose not – if you choose I'm not saying, to go to your own do this. Yeah. Instead of going to uh, college, I mean, I think that would be a better plan. Just have build a minor league division so these kids. Because here's what you got to understand: less than less than one percent are going to make a pro career. Yeah, and you, you don't think about that basketball, football, any sport, and they're going to have to have it. And they, a lot of them don't know how to invest. And what Jim, are they going to do with the money? Yes, Jim. What is the average? Average player expectancy in the NFL? Less than uh, 2.8, I think it is. 2.8 years. 2.8 years. So if they're not going to make it to the NFL or if they they don't make the NFL, they're still getting paid to play college football. So what is the problem if if they're a professional athlete of them being drafted? Say if I wanted to go to Arizona State like I did and Rutgers – drafted me 
and right. said, I got to go to Rutgers. I don't think yeah. that's right. You well, you don't have a choice but to go to Rutgers if you wanted to play football. The difference right. is academically, if you were able to make Arizona straight state academically, or you had another skill like you were a musician yes. and they give you a scholarship for that, fine. You could go to any darn college you want, I'm but to just that. play football, you can't, you know, pick and choose what school you're not. You shouldn't be a free agent to play football and go wherever you want. Why not? Okay. Unless academically you were able to get into those schools and get go. into it because you had another skill. If that were the case, then you could play for whoever the heck you want. And I don't and agree. Because you could go then, to school anyway. <laughs> How do you choose the top 30? The rankings of well, last year. I would have to kind of be sorted. The rankings, the rankings at the end of last year, just like the teams finishing the NFL. But you're doing different from the NFL draft. The I'm, I'm, the you guys are there, and that's first. what he said. <laughs> you legacy. Pickles is right. I mean, you're going to pick Listen, teams. I don't care. I don't care about legacy. I don't care. You want to be a professional athlete? We're going to treat you like a professional athlete. So let's push on because I want to get Robert's thoughts on all the topics. <laughs> but I knew this would blow you guys away. This would yeah. blow you guys away. And I think it's a great idea. I got to work out the, the, the whole rules. And I'm you writing, have to work out a lot of stuff. I'm going to write the NCAA when I'm done. So anyway, folks. After those seats won't be in the NCAA anymore. They're going to only. Let's I well then they then they will not participate in the draft and they're kicked out of the league. Anyway, let's get back to Robert here. Yeah, I have some of the other questions I have for him. So let's get to uh the the um hey, I gotta flip my page. I got so excited. Hold on. So <laughs> so anyway, let's talk about a little bit about Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. A lot of people are saying yeah. that Kyrie Irving may not even get a contract with the Nets this year because of the type of players that they say they want on the team, which was totally opposite of what Kyrie yeah. Irving was last year. Kevin Durant goes to the Nets to play with Kyrie Irving to start this team. That's the reason supposedly he went. Him and Kyrie, and of course Harden came along, but them two were going to start a team and go get a championship together. Uh, Durant just signed a long extension. So yeah. if you're Kevin Durant and they say, I oh, guess what, Kyrie, kick rocks. What do you do if you're Kevin Durant? Well, like you said, I think he he wants to stay there long term. Uh, he he signed. He's I looked up some quotes from him. I'm calling this home. And, you know, Durant is 34, guys. Uh, he's not getting any younger either. I think he probably goes out and recruits one of these free agents, uh, uh, Zach Levine, Bradley, uh, Bill, maybe a Jalen Brunson, somebody of that nature. I don't think he's going to have a duck over uh, over Kyrie Irving. I think he he's a very passive, quiet guy when it comes to stuff like this, really non-confrontational, kind of had an issue with Draymond Green, didn't want to iron that out going all the way back to the Golden State days there. So I think that um, he's get a long go along. I, I don't – quite frankly, I don't blame him. I mean, Kyrie is one of the most unreliable players right now. Uh, so I don't think he's going to demand a trade or anything like that. He could surprise me. You never know. He, I mean, he could wake up and, and totally change his mind. But from everything I'm reading into uh, – 
He's just going to go on his own personal recruiting trail come up this summer. Robert, you are the voice of reason. (laughs) That's right. I know I got him thinking about that draft. You watch. So, Robert, um, let's let's talk a little bit about on on uh, on a position that's supposedly devalued in the NFL, right? I mean, yeah. we got the quarterbacks, we got the the wide receivers, defensive back, and pass rushers. To yeah. me, to me, the running game is almost as important as it was before, especially near the end yeah. of the game. And you can dominate time of possession against a good offense. And I think, and me and Jim agree with this 100%, we both are in total agreement, it's going to change because the defenses are now drafting to stop the pass. So the offense, I think, will eventually start drafting hard-running running backs and have them big offensive lines to counter that. Give us your top five running backs in the NFL today, Rob. Well, you guys know that this is a uh, a position that changes – uh, constantly because of the, the shelf life of a running back. So uh, my top five would be a guy, number one would be a guy like Jonathan, would be Jonathan Taylor, okay? Uh, look at his youth. Look at his offensive line. Look how he's used in that offense. Uh, running behind a guy like Quentin Nelson, really good running game. Uh, Jonathan Taylor. Derrick Henry is still uh, fairly young. Now, he got hurt last year. And that's why I put him slightly below Taylor. But uh, Derrick Henry will be number two. Now, Dalvin Cook, you think Dalvin Cook had been in the league seven or eight years? You know, he's only 26 as well. Uh, You guys seen how the the Minnesota ran through him, uh, helped them win a game by itself a a few years ago there at Green Bay. And uh, last two are debatable, but Alvin Kamara – dual threat guy, much more durable than a Christian McCaffrey. Uh, and then I, uh, and then Nick Chubb, I put at number five. McCaffrey is just too injured at this point, guys. A part of ability is availability. And I know he's a big stack guy. My fantasy guys would, would disagree. But Christian McCaffrey is just uh, – maybe they should move him out the slot more. I don't know. But uh, he, he just doesn't stay healthy enough to, for me to put in that top five at this point. Rob, how come no one talks about that ugly incident Alvin Kamara had out in Vegas with his friends where a guy was beat up? We don't hear about the NFL giving him any type of suspension. It hasn't really been addressed. And how long can you investigate something? I mean, the investigation should be done by now. You know, Jack, there's a lot of incidents like that. They just kind of fall under the radar. Sometimes they get the, the case gets dismissed. Uh, remember, Frank Clark had an issue at an airport with guns that's twice, right. Jim. Yeah, that's and he right. did, he's played the whole season. I've never heard anything else about it. So, uh, you know, speaking of that, Deshaun Watson, they're in, uh, the NFL is asking him some message. I think that's such a highly public one that looks like he's going to get suspended. I disagree with that, but the uh, NFL kind of makes it up as it goes along. <laughs> so so let, let me piggyback with McCaffrey here. And yeah. I think Jim, Jim and me and him talked about this before. And I think we're in agreement here too. Kristen McCaffrey is not a between the tackles runner. I mean, he can maybe on a draw or a trap or something. He's mainly outside the tackles, out of the backfield, kind of running back. And I think I would blame the Panthers 
about the use of McCaffrey more than I would say about his injury problems. I mean, here you got a, a he's a strong little guy, but he's a little guy, and you're going to run him between the tackles, getting hit by big defensive linemen and linebackers uh, that are flying around the field. He's not meant for that. So why do the Panthers, you know, when he came back off of injury, I see him running up the middle again. I'm like, what are you doing to this guy? This guy is not meant for that. And I think a lot of teams make that mistake because he's so good that all of a sudden he's my, you know, three down back. Yeah, he's just not – you're right. You know, he, he's built like a mini receiver. Kind of reminds me of Wes Welker a little bit. Yes. He's not built like a uh, a Nick Chubb or, or a Jonathan Taylor. And, uh, you know, he's a mini-me compared to a to a Derrick Henry. <laughs> but most people are. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, very true. So, Robert, let's, let's, let's get on to um, – the NBA playoffs are, are over. We're down to the last four. Uh, me and Jack have talked about this on our show a lot, you know, about teams being competitive. And th- that a lot of – well, we, we may have one more to cover after this too. I think I know your answer to the, the last topic, so I want to get to this. Um, about teams who are competitive, really good teams, and there's such a cry for them to be champions that – They'll even get rid of the coach or players, even though yeah. they have a great team and can, I, I, I can win these championships. So when you look at the the real playoff team, say the final eight, is there any of these playoff teams that you see that will have a reset, that will almost tear down and start all over again? Well, I, I think, uh, well, you said a reset. That That's a good question for the final eight, but I – like I said before, I think if, if I'm the Lakers and Jenny Buss, I know that I, I would I would trade anybody I could. I would go out and hire a Sam Presti like he's the general manager from the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I would go out and get a coach and I would uh, make it public to the to to everybody that's listening, all the Laker Nation, for example, and, and say that uh this may take us seven, eight years, but we're going to build this right. We're going to build a good foundation here, and we're going to have a proper chain of command. As far as the teams that are in the playoffs this past year, I mean, that is a tough one right now. Uh, I mean, you could possibly say that for the 76ers because of Joel LMB's injuries. Uh, he's your main guy, and, and we don't know if he can stay healthy throughout the playoffs. He was hurt last year. In the Atlanta series, he was hurt. <laughs> he was ten man this year. He was he was all banged up. So you could possibly do that for for Philadelphia. Uh, not as bad as the Lakers. I mean, I think they should strip that team down to the studs and and, and just just build it right. Be patient. Have a proper chain of command and 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 just uh, and, and build that thing up. Because once you start drafting players good and you're in a big brand team like a like the Lakers, for example. So you're going to get more free agents there and, and get them to right. We don't have to just run people out of town and force people to force trades and all that. I don't know if the Laker fans would put up with eight years, Robert, to be honest. Well, with. you say worst case scenario. Oh, they yeah. might. I mean, I mean, what, what are they going to do? Put a petition with the NBA and say, sell the team. I mean, they're going to show up. <laughs> it's a big yeah. brand, you know? 
uh, eight years. I mean, Rob, I mean, you picked that out of a hat, and there's no guarantee after eight years. It takes so long to develop an NBA player. I mean, you said two, three years. Okay, eight years. I mean, uh, you're going to have some misses there. There's been talk like the Denver Nuggets or the Utah Jazz, the teams that are always there that are always competitive, and they're looking to you know, and and not that maybe these teams are championship teams. Maybe they can't win it all, but maybe they can. I mean, you know, I I pointed out to like uh, I made an example of this on a debate show of like the '70s Red Sox, right? I mean, they were second to the Orioles, they were second to the Yankees, they had their shot, but they had great competitive, uh, strong teams, and they're known for that today. So I think, you know, this is what I'm getting at, Robert. You know, teams that are there, that are there in, in, in the, you know, the final four of both divisions are competitive. They're there and anything can happen. But the fans and, and, and a lot of the management, there's so much pressure to win that championship today. I think it's, uh, I think it hurts the sport. How about that? Mac, Mac, you gave me a great idea. I want to hear Rob's comment on this a trade because Utah needs a spark. They should deal with the Lakers, a blockbuster deal. Anthony Davis for Rudy Gobert, even up. Uh, you know what? That would make a splash for Utah. Uh, I think Gobert offensively is maxed out. And a defensive guy like that with the Lakers it's food for thought. The only reason I would even entertain it if I'm Laker Nation, if I'm Lakers, because of Anthony Davis's injury history. Speaking yeah. of injuries. So last 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 one before we let you go, because we got packs coming up after you here soon. Um players today, big conversation again uh we had on our show. Players today, uh along uh, back in the day, and they love saying back in the day. Um, players really cared about winning a lot. In fact, players moved from team to team when they became free agents to get on better teams, right? Today, it looks like it's more about statistics because that's how you get paid. Um, yeah. Do you agree that to the players today, and in and, and general now, because I know some yeah. still care about winning, they're more concerned about their personal statistics or winning? Well, uh, your guy, Jim, Marcellus Wiley once said, uh, I can have four and five sacks and we can lose by 20 points in the NFL. <laughs> you, he said, still kind of play. I played with him, and you're right. He, did he tell you that too? Uh, yeah. No, but that was his mentality. He didn't care about that. Because <laughs> I was fixing to say, he said that too as well. So watching that Phoenix game, guys, can you imagine a number one seed, nobody getting kicked out of the game and just being a dirt – they, they scored 27 points at halftime, and Devin Booker looked so nonchalant mm-hmm. in that game. I, I just – a lot of the players, uh, Mac, they share the same agents nowadays. A lot of hugs, a lot of extra dapping going on after the game. It does seem like it is more – uh, even in the NFL, I think Tony Gonzalez said about 4% of the players want to be great and actually win. Tony, a former tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. So I do believe now with all of them, particularly in the NBA, Major League Baseball, I mean, look at Mike Trout. Uh, I mean, maybe they'll get lucky with Otani. All that money, I don't know if he really cares about that or not, but uh, about winning or not. But I'll say this, it does seem that way that it doesn't 
burn away. So when you see a, a Boston and a Milwaukee series, there's such an appreciation for guys like myself diving in there, Marcus Smart getting injury. They care, and that's why they're here now. And the fans, we see that and appreciate it. Here's another stat for you. Uh, that game seven with Boston and Milwaukee, that was one of the highest rated uh, Eastern Conference game sevens in 10 years. Or no, not, not game seven, just period. Just period. Uh, not just a game seven. Can I just say something? You see that, guys. We're having appreciation for CC Sabathia, what he did years ago when he was pitching for the Milwaukee Brewers. He was going to be a free agent. It was the end of the season. The playoffs won the line for the Brewers. He pitched on short rest a couple of yes. days, and he put himself on the injury risk, even though he was going to be a free agent because it was about winning, doing it for his team. Even though he was only going to be with his team for a little while more, he laid it all out on the line. You know, I actually remember that, and I don't watch that much base. I remember that, and a lot of talk of being the talking heads on TV were like, what is he doing? And you know what? We greatly appreciate that because we don't yeah. show up to the games. We don't buy their products, Gatorade and stuff on those commercials. They don't make that big money, guys. Yeah, It just yeah. don't It's a lot about your brand now. And that's yeah. what it is. How can you get your brand out there? It's not about, and you're right, because you look at the guys that are on these commercials, not all of them have won championships. No. When you think about that, it's yeah. all about the brand. Yeah, and it's a shame. It really does. I think yeah. it hurts sports. Robert, I want to thank you again. You're always a, a great time having you on the uh, Mac, Jack, and Jim uh, this week in Sports Show. Everybody, again, check out Sportscope with a K, Robert Butler, Always chasing the bigger stories. Robert, have a great Sunday. Thank you for I'm being the voice that. of reason, Robert. Huh? Thank you for being the voice of reason. I'm a voice of reason. Hey, listen, I guarantee you, Robert, we'll be talking about the draft here in the next couple of weeks at College Draft. So, <laughs> so, folks, we're going to take our first break for the day. On the other side, we should have a guy who ran on marathon yesterday in the shoulder pads and painted up for autism in Philadelphia, the Philly sports guy, Pags. So let's hope he's not winded or dead or on the side. Well, 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 he didn't run a full marathon, 26.2 miles. He ran one of those 5K races, right? Hey, listen, listen, listen. A, he ran it in shoulder pads, Jack. I don't think you've ever run a five-mile uh, K in shoulder pads, have you? On shoulder pads, okay. Yes, yes. So, so we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back on the other side. The Philly sports guy packs himself. Stick around, folks. We'll be right back. You worked too hard. You ate too much. The cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Those speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer Gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief.
If you served honorably in our nation's army, you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow members in your community, then join Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA Health. Let's do this right. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack and Jim This Week in Sports every Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. as we go and update the biggest stories in sports from the week. 
Um, we're live on Roku TV, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and a bunch of other platforms will be on later, including a lot of audio uh, audio platforms, iHeartRadio, um, Spotify, Apple, and uh, Pandora. So, folks, thanks for tuning in today. Our next guest up, folks, is one of my best uh, friends off the air also is Jamie Pags, the Philly sports guy. And Pags does a lot of work uh, for different organizations during the year as the Philly sports guy. Uh, he does a lot of work with charity events, and he just had a big one. Um, this, I think it was yesterday, as a matter of fact, as Pags ran for autism in Philadelphia, and they raised a record-breaking $4.1 million. So let's bring up Pags, see how he's doing. How you feeling today, Pags? A little beat up. A little beat up. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, not only did I do that, but I also, uh, in Philadelphia, they don't uh, they don't open the stadium early enough for batting practice. And that's something that they used to do. So the Phillies allowed me to also film batting practice and do that live, live stream, which was a lot of fun. Seeing that uh, Bellinger, when he was up to bat uh, during batting practice, hit me a home run directly to me. So, wow. Did you catch yeah, it? It's just like I'm holding phones. I'm holding phones and trying to catch a baseball. It bounced off my my you know my big mate. You know, so it, it didn't quite. Uh, I didn't quite catch it. No. Uh, that's all right. Hey, listen. You know, yeah, you, you're trying to do two things at once, but you know, there's really no excuse, Pat, because I see people holding beers catch home runs all the time. Beers, babies. I, 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 hey, listen. I, that's exactly what I said. I said I really wasn't prepared for it. I didn't expect the ball to come right at me right at the camera so it was you know a little bit of a surprise but well, you know it was that's what happens when you go to batting practice great great job with the autism uh, uh pags uh helping raise a uh, record-breaking amount of course i think there was there was uh philadelphia players there too if i'm not mistaken or former players that were I, involved both both so it was all it was also not just a run walk it, they also rode bikes Okay. So, for instance, like Kelsey and a few of the players rode like 10 miles on a bike for that. And, and then we got to meet them afterwards. I got to meet Jalen Hurts. And, and, you know, I heard right before you guys went to break how I, I was getting a little bit of slack because I was running in a 5K and, you know, even in shoulder pads and football gear. And even the players yesterday, because, of course, I mean, it was 65, 70 degrees all week long until this run where it turned to 95 degrees, you know, and, you know, the pictures before the run were much better than the pictures after the run. And even the players are like, how are you not just dying in that? And I'm like, well, I am. Yeah, <laughs> so. so there you go. Pags toughing it out, uh, showing he's tougher than the Philadelphia Eagles, which I knew all along. So, Pags, let's talk about the Eagles really quick. Uh, the right side of the Philadelphia Eagles, over 700 pounds of get back as they are putting Jordan Maialata and Landon Davis on the same side, the right side. Dickerson. Uh, uh, sorry, Dickerson. And, and uh, I mean, listen, the Eagles not only got weapons uh, throwing the ball, but we forget about the great running game they had last year, and this will definitely help them out. Well, I hate, I've said from the moment that you've met me that you win championships from three yards on either side of the football, and they bulked up both sides. 
you know, and, you know, it's funny because, you know, I, I, I saw, I, I, obviously I saw all of them yesterday. So I, I, and Jordan Mailata is just a monster. You know, he's, you know, it's funny because we've become friends because he came to my, my charity event and we've started, you know, just sort of talking to each other and such. And he's just, he's such a big guy. And then to talk to him to find out like just how gentle he is. And he's like a big teddy bear kind of until he gets on a football field. Uh, it, it's just, he's just an amazing guy. And same thing with Landon Dickerson. I mean, they're both like great guys off the field, but on the field, they have so much talent. And, you know, for Jordan Mailata to come from Australia in a, like a rugby setting, never playing one down of football and getting with, you know, Statland, who is the best offensive lineman in the game, coach you know, best coach in the game and literally learn from him and the Eagles that were here, starting with Jason Peters and then going down the line through Lane Johnson and such like that to be quite possibly the best offensive tackle, arguably in the NFL this coming year is pretty amazing. But of course he had to work really hard at that. He had to spend three, four years of doing nothing but learning his footwork and learning how to just be able to be a an offensive tackle. And, you know, when you spend four years, when you get the crash course from, you know, such a coach like Statlin, it's it's amazing. You know, and you're gonna see, you're gonna see that. And their offensive line is is something to mess with. I mean, you're not gonna have it, they're not gonna get uh a better offensive line out there in the NFL right now. I think Landon Dickerson from Alabama, he was a steal a year ago to go early in the second round because there were injury concerns. Correct. I mean, did the Eagles get another steal with Nicobe Dean, you know, the leader Georgia's defensive unit because their injury concerns. Again, yes, maybe that's a lesson you know what? And, should and, learn. And he had those injury, have injury concerns. Just take a chance on a guy based on talent. And the Eagles do like to do that. They The Eagles have had a number of picks. Some of them work. Some of them do not. Uh, there was a, a cornerback who was first-round talent and wound up getting hurt uh, and and missed the first year, came out the second year. And, you know, when you have, when you have ACL tears, it's, it, you have to start to trust your knee again. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. So the first year back from that, he didn't perform well. And he really didn't start to perform well until the end of his contract, which was like the last the last four or five games uh, of his fourth year. And then, of course, he got let go because he only really performed five games out of the three years that he actually played. But the Eagles do like to take chances at that. And I tell you, I met N'Kobe Dean yesterday. He doesn't look like he's a you know, guy who's going to get hurt very often. And he was injured most of the time at – at uh, Georgia. Well, so, I want to bring I want I want to bring I want to bring Jim in here a little bit because he was arguably the greatest defensive end in Cowboy history, in my opinion, anyway. And he worked alongside Randy White. And I don't know if it was Jethro Pugh. I don't know if you went back that no, far. No, no. But but okay. So you've gone up against some three hundred pounders in 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 your in your day, Jim, and I think if I'm correct, you were about 277, 280 pounds, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was about, honestly, I was about 254, 255. 
So, so when you go up against a big guys like that, so, and you got to stop the run. And of course, that that especially at that time that was huge back in the in the in the eighties and nineties to stop that run. What do you do when you go up against a, 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 a offensive line like say the Rams? Right, the Rams had an unbelievable offensive line at the time. Big Redskins, Washington Redskins, the Hogs were just massive and and big. So, what do you do as a defensive line? to stop that big presence that's across from work the edges don't get head up with them work their edges and and the flex was a little different but when we played in Jimmy Johnson's 4-3 all defense we worked edges and the flex once we stopped the run the flex was really a 3-4 because we played on inside shades of those tackles but uh we worked the edges and get them out of their comfort zones when you got big guys like that who are athletic, the Joe Jacobis, the Jim Lachey's, and guys like that, and you always work their edges and force them out of their comfort zone. You you can't get you know you're always going to be outsized on the defensive line as opposed to the um, offensive line, and you can't there. The diff, most difficult thing is the interior guys because it's a little different working inside than the outside. So let me let me let me let me ask a caveat question to that. Uh, so, yeah, I, you were talking about the Hogs, but on the other side, maybe towards the end of your career when you were up in Buffalo, you would go up against Denver, and Denver was quite the opposite. They were really mobile, and they were not so big, and they were uh, able to kind of get you know they were more speed, and, and you know, like I said, they, they weren't. 300 pounders. I think the average weight of them were somewhere around 275, 280, Same which was by system. far the smallest yeah. uh, in the NFL. But yet they went to the Super Bowl a couple of times with that type of line. How much of a difference is that when an offensive line has got that type of agility rather than they have the size? Well, there's a, a tremendous difference because they use the same thing that defense are used in angles. And you have to deal with it. San Francisco 49ers Alex Gibbs and guys like that, they started that zone blocking. So by playing low and cutting guys, and which is basically changed in the schemes today, but they always had cutback lanes because there was always somebody out of holes. And they can get up to linebackers because of their athleticism. That's something Tennessee yeah, that's- Titans, the Tennessee Titans do really well. Yes. Uh, football game. They so get Pat- to the next level. Yes, yes. And that's and, what and, I feel like some of the Eagles have, that they have not just the size, but they also have the agility. And that's what one of the things that they look for. They want big guys that can move quick. You know, that's why Jordan Maialata is so good, because he still can pull and still be a force in that second and third level. He doesn't have to just take the, you know, he just, he's not really stationary. He's able to move his feet well enough where he's able to get that first block and then get a second block. And then sometimes even a third block just because he's so big. And when you, when you're big and moving towards somebody, you're able to push them over a lot easier when you're 365 pounds. Well, let me tell you when that counter tray Washington was working, you were yeah. in for a long day, man. No we question. No we question. So, plus, so, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I said, plus, what uh, he says is true. You like the big athletic guys that can move. But then that's what's happening in the league. With uh, 
Philadelphia is trying to do is what Indianapolis did last year because there's a lot of similarities between Philadelphia and Indianapolis with Jonathan Taylor, and they're going in that way. And obviously there's a a print of uh, Indianapolis because the head coach was an Indianapolis coach. So they're trying to change into a more of a running power. And then with the receivers they had, that's going to be dangerous. Nice play action. See you later. But that was also part of the scheme for a while, even under Peterson some, where, I mean, you would have Kelsey pull, your yeah. guards pull all the time and get, get second level you know, on the run in comparison to just doing like a normal run block or A-gap blocks and things of that nature. So yeah. well, I, I, mean, I, I, I think where it's going to change, Pags, is that you're not going to be throwing as much to tight ends as more downfield off that run. I think you guys are going to be going for a bigger plays than you did last year. So I think, it's be, I think it's going to be very interesting to tell you the truth. I, I actually disagree with you there. And the reason why I disagree with you there just a little bit is that I think that there's going to be more explosive plays. However, I think the fact that there is the ability to have the explosive play is going to open up the center of the field and I think Dallas Goddard, I mean, I saw him again yesterday, too, and he looks like he's in great shape. He's ready to go. And I think he's going to have really a an all-pro year. Well, we'll and I see. think that I that's think... going to be because of the fact that they're going to have the ability to go long ball whenever they want to. Well, I don't know. I, I'm just saying I think if, if you have a strong running game and now you got A.J. Brown to go along with that, now you're looking to go downfield and you need to do that now and then to keep the defense honest, that's for sure. So so let, let's push on a, to, to the Phillies. Uh, they get beat by the Dodgers 7-4. to four. I, I heard you guys talking a little bit about Giardi when I was out for that one show that maybe he doesn't look happy at all being the Phillies manager anymore. I don't know if he ever was really happy about it. I imagine in the beginning he was. But he, he seems to be unhappy. He doesn't look like he fools around and he has fun. Uh, like some managers, I mean, he's serious. A lot of managers are serious, but at least you see him fooling around with the players, laughing and joking. Chirardi doesn't seem like he does that anymore. Pat. You know, I, 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 the one thing, the one frustration I have more than anything else about Girardi is that every manager dictates the, the locker room to their team. So if you are very tight and straight-laced and no fun, that locker room is going to take on those, those attributes. And I feel like that there is there was definitely a little bit better air yesterday because at the start off that Harper was back in the lineup and it brought a little bit more excitement to everything. Uh, and then at the as you end when I mean Literally, they, they used six pitchers, you know, after Nola and those six pitchers, you know, at one point, the five pitchers had eight outs and had put 10 guys on base. And you're not going to win games when that happens. And that's obviously the has been the story throughout the last few years with the Phillies that you just cannot you cannot get it to the bullpen because you just can't trust the bullpen. And with a team like the Dodgers who have the ability to hit this ball like really well and you know obviously the first game was only 3 nothing but you know you know then it's or 4 nothing and then you have this game where we're up 4 to nothing or 4 to 1 and then next thing you know it's just they they start you know coming back and coming back and coming back. And then you got to the bullpen and now it's seven to four. And then you're now for the last two innings at bats, you're, you're chasing, 
know, and he just the Phillies aren't really built to chase. They're built to get the lead and hold the lead by scoring runs. And they're not scoring runs. They're not hitting the ball. They're not doing the things that they need to do. Uh, I mean, first off, I mean, in the, what was it? I think it was the seventh inning where uh, Adubo Herrera got lucky and didn't get caught in the base pass between third and home and wound up getting back to third and then tried to get home on, on a play that he probably shouldn't have gone because he was out by six steps. You know, six steps and a slide, and he never, he still hasn't touched home plate yet because he slid way away from the tag. He's stuck. He's stuck in the middle of third at home right now as they're talking, Bags. Oh, my Lord. It was, I mean, it was such a bad, bad running decision. And it makes me wonder, it's like, so how much of that was the third base coach? Did the third base coach tell him to go? Does he think that he has more speed than he actually did? That throw was from from Betts, and it was dead online, you know, and a rocket. I mean, literally, when you get beat by six steps, you know, on a throw, you should have never been running in the first place. And it makes me wonder: Did he run on his own? Did the did the coach, you know, try to hold him up at all? And he ran through the sign because ultimately, you know. I feel that this whole management team is not doing certain things correctly. And the way that ball was hit, it was a rocket to bets and he was on the move, moving forward. All he had to do was catch that ball, take two steps and throw it home. And it was dead on, you know, and he, and who thought he was hurt. You know, we, you know, you don't want to see anybody hurt, but I was almost happy to see him come out of the game. And of course he didn't come out of the game and it's like, all right, well, you know, then he's fine. You know what I mean? You knew he was fine. So that when you go to that and he has that type of play, you don't test his arm. You already know he's got an arm, so you don't test it. But they did. And then, and then you left Harper. Yeah, Harper leads off the next inning now instead of bases loaded, two outs. And that's, that was so frustrating to me. And I feel like that's indicative of a lot of the decisions that are made by this coaching staff in general. You know, that so, they just are not in tune with what is going on. And that's frustrating. So, Pags, the 76ers, of course, uh, was the soap opera of the year next to the Nets, right? The next, the Nets, the Lakers, and the 76ers was a total soap opera, all three teams. I think the 76ers were even bigger if you throw Simmons in there and, and you know, and, and Harden coming over and then expectations and then B getting hurt and going out there and giving his best shot and, you know, there was to me there was distractions throughout that whole season with the 76ers. I still think they're a competitive team. I still think as is, they still have a shot at making to the finals next year um, with the team they have, and and that's going to depend a lot on a couple of your young guys if they if they continue to get better, right? I and mean, you know, I'm talking about Maxi. Maxi has got to continue his growth, but. What do you what do you do if as far as a fan goes? And I'm talking in general, not you personally. What do the fans want to see there now? I mean, do they want Doc's head? Do they want to you know uh, get rid of Harden? Are they do they want to tear it down? Do they want to get more free agents? What is what is the pulse right now to 76 or fans out there? Divided. It's a divided mm-hmm. pulse uh, that there is a lot of wonderment on whether Maury is able to do the things that he needs to do. Obviously they feel like Harden is not the 
you know, not what he was supposed to be. You know, and it's funny, I, I was looking at videos, I was going through my phone and I found a video of the first day that he actually showed up in Philadelphia. He rang the bell for the Sixers, which they do every game before the game. And he rang the bell and just the excitement from the crowd on the fact that they had him here. And so, how, you know, you know, what a difference a day makes. You know what I mean? Of course, it's been longer than a day, but it's only been a couple of months. And now all of a sudden they're like, well, we shouldn't even give him his $47 million. And that's things, uh, you know, we should move on from him already. And uh, there is, you know, and, and there's a lot more talk about, hey, would you trade Doc to the Lakers for a second round pick, which is in the air around here like that somebody said something about it that the you know, i don't think it came out of la that that was a possibility and that they're still thinking that it's likely going to happen that uh moray although he gave a vote of confidence that doc rivers was going to be back next year believe that he's not going to be back next year and that they're going to go a different way with the coach I think they do need to go a different way. I think they need somebody who's a little bit more of a stickler. I need they, uh, somebody who's not as co uh, as player friendly. I think they need somebody to sometimes let a fire under these guys. And uh, Doc wasn't the guy, you know. I think I think at the end, Doc, you know, amongst everything else, I think Doc wants to win. Doc Rivers. Uh, I, sometimes I don't know if he realizes how to do it, and he feels that if he just. He's same plays, but just give them, you know, like, come on, guys, you just got to do it this way. Come on, you just got to listen to me. And they're not listening. And it's not working. And it's like sometimes it's a little bit of insanity because he tries the same thing over and over again, and it just doesn't seem to work. And it makes me wonder if, if it goes beyond that. It's like, okay, maybe you need a different style that when you become too friendly with the players that you don't have the ability to – get up under them or light a fire or make them, you know, realize some of the things that they're doing wrong because you can't, you're afraid to get in their face or you just, your relationship doesn't allow you to get into their face. And I think that that's part of some of the issue of the Sixers, that they need somebody to light them. And when you look from within, that's the one thing that everybody notices about Jimmy Butler was that Jimmy Butler was that guy in the locker room rather than brown and that when they needed to light a fire they looked to jimmy not to brown at the time so when brown you know got rid of jimmy butler and it was really it was found out that they chose brown you know coach brown over butler that you know jimmy was like that was why oh you chose tobias harris over me it wasn't tobias harris it was tobias harris wound up being the beneficiary of the fact that they chose the coach over jimmy butler and because jimmy butler really was the voice of that locker room well he was the guy that inspired the guys to play harder and better and unfortunately now he's not here and you don't have that guy well, well Pags, you know, Harden's not that guy either see, see to me Pags, that's all water under the bridge and who cares really it's it doesn't matter what jimmy butler was back then it doesn't matter oh no no it matters a lot though well i don't think that's just right it does matter because doesn't joel Embiid effect he's I probably kicked off jimmy I butler's don't think so. see to me it's 
done. That that's all over with. That's been done. Well, for no, no, yeah, but uh, hold on. That, so, the Jimmy so, Butler I mean, saga if, is done. You know what? What, you what still if, don't what have if, the guy you know, who's able to what light if the this, fire. What if that? I mean, it is what it is. I understand that, but it's not a matter of that. It's the matter of they do not have the person. It's what can't Joe Lambeed light the fire? It's what, it's what you do from here. It doesn't really matter what happened in the past. I don't think the Dallas Cowboys worried about their 1-15 record when they were building a Super It's done. It's time to push on. So to me, when you start looking back at what if we had this and what if we had that, it's a waste of time and effort to me. I mean, I, I get it. You want to talk about, you know, what happens if Alan Houston never got hurt for the Knicks? I mean, who cares? That's done. The, the, the yeah, point but is, so, the but point you are missing the Pags, point that I'm getting point, at. The, the point to me, Pegs, right now is that you guys still have a competitive team. You've got to get rid of the soap opera and the things that surround the team before your team can get competitive and be at the higher level because you don't need all this other stuff coming around you. You don't need the what a Ben Sims. You don't need. Jimmy Butler, you don't know, you don't need, you know, uh, Tim, uh, Doc Rivers. You, you have a team that can go to the conference finals, at least the East, I feel, at this time. It just takes a couple more things to happen. And and to me, when you start talking about Butler and the coach, and who cares? I'm talking about right Yeah, but now. again, you are missing, you are missing my point by miles. What I am talking about is the fact that they do not have the presence in the locker room to inspire Ooh. these guys. Okay, and good. That's good. the problem. Right. It, sometimes it would come from the coach. Sometimes it comes from a player. But when right. that coach doesn't do it, and the player that did do it before is now gone, yeah, and you don't. Have, it doesn't come from Joel Embiid because I think Joel Embiid's still a young kid. I mean, he's oh. a little older now. He's a veteran, but he's still he still requires that same, Pass. you know. Gosh, it's his team. It's his team. The yeah, whole yeah, organization is on eggshells with Joel Embiid. They don't want Joel Embiid to demand the trade. They're doing everything to please Joel Embiid. Everyone else is expendable but Joel Embiid. And he just doesn't know how to inspire people. And when he's not inspired, that team does not do well. And you saw that in game five and game six. After he was told that he did not win the MVP, he moped. And once then he I, started then, moping, the whole team acted like moping. They should have moped guess, with him. He deserved then to guess be the what? MVP. Then guess what? If he's going to mope and not play because he didn't get the MVP, I get rid of him. Because I don't give a damn about your MVP. You're here to win basketball games. If that's the truth, Pags, if what you're telling me right now is the truth, Embiid is not a leader at all, period. Well, what do you think I'm telling you? I, I okay. did say that they need somebody else to inspire <laughs> so that to locker it. room. I told you it may be his team, but they need He's somebody to. else to inspire we that locker room. To and it. It's got to come from the coach most of the time. Sometimes and, and, it will come and, from a player. And but it's got to if Embiid is the Embiid is the leader of the team. It's got to come from him. You know, hey, they said the same thing about Carson Wentz, and now they realize that he's not the leader of the team. That's that's what you have when you when the guy who's supposed to be the leader isn't the leader. You start looking for leadership in the, in opposite directions, and it, it, sometimes it's got to be the loudest the loudest voice in the room, and the loudest voice should be the manager a lot of times or the coach. And if it's not the manager or the coach, then you're going to try to find it from anywhere. And if the loudest voice in the room is Maxi, we'll say, or if it's Harden and Harden's not playing out the way it's, he's supposed to, 
or originally I thought it was Tobias Harris because when he started off this season, he was really the voice in the locker room that everybody was turning to originally, and it didn't work out that way either. So that's what I feel they need. They need some veteran leadership to come back in here and start to really actually push these guys in a way that they have not been pushed. And that's part of the problem. I feel like Butler was that guy before. I feel that since Butler has been gone, they have not had that guy. And until they get that guy, and I'm not sure who that guy is or how it comes here. I, I mean, there's there's talk about Bradley Beal, but I, you know, that's you know, no, that's just air as far as I'm it. concerned. You know, I mean, uh, ultimately they have to get somebody here who's able. I I think Drummond was a little bit of that. You know, I think Drummond actually was a good voice of reason and a voice of leadership in that locker room and getting rid of him was hurtful to them, you know, and then he got, and that's why he he did well over at the Nets, but really Durant is the guy over there, you know, and Durant is able to back it up with his Durant's play. not a leader. Durant is not a leader with the Nets. He's a great player, but not a leader. Well, maybe, yeah, but maybe, he's the voice in that locker room. Maybe, maybe, uh, not really. He's the Maybe Embiid and Durant can get uh, Embiid and Durant can, can get together, and they can go look for a leader. Pags, I love you. I got to get get moving here. Uh, I, you, you checked out the emails I sent you. I hope and 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 check that out. And Pags, you know I'll get back to you later on today. Have a great day with us. Always a pleasure having Pags on the Philly Sports Guy because there's no one else that knows Philly sports like the Pags. Pags, have a great Sunday, my friend. You guys have a great week. There See you, Pags. Me too, Pags. So there you go. Jamie Pags, the Philly sports guy, always has a pulse of Philadelphia in his in his you hand. You were pushing him a little too hard, Mac. When you don't I, like listen, him, you get listen, on him. I, Jeff I, Coat I, didn't hear what you had to say early in the week. Jeff Coat, Mac really was going after Troy Aikman, basically saying he doesn't like him because he never smiles. Right, <laughs> right. Okay. So, so again, Jack, like a witch, is stirring the pot again, folks. We're going to be I mean, right he did back. Say it. He was the least after, favorite because he never smiles. Yes, yes, he doesn't like any cowboys. So that's you, right. you heard him say that. He'll say that in the commercial. I will. You'll see that coming up pretty soon <laughs> in this break. So, folks, we'll be right back after these uh, messages. <laughs> uh, Jack, I love you. I'm out. Boom. Come on. My baloney has a first name. It's O-S-C-A-R. My baloney has a second name. It's M-A-Y-E-R. Oh, I love to eat it every day. And if you ask me why, I'll say. Because Oscar Mayer has a way with B-L-O-G-N-A. Oscar Mayer, the first name in Bologna. How's that? When you hear the word asthma, you probably think of shortness of breath, coughing, or inhalers. Lots of things can trigger asthma, but the fact is that asthma doesn't just attack, it can kill. But with proper medical management, asthma is controllable. If you experience shortness of breath, wheezing, tightness in your chest, or persistent nighttime coughing, you may have asthma. See your doctor and get the facts. You'll breathe easier. For more information, call 211 InfoLine. A message from the Connecticut Department of Public Health. Keeping Connecticut healthy. Oh, <laughs> my
fermentation. Most brewers just ferment their beer once, but Schaefer is fermented twice. Once to make it beer, and twice to make it Schaefer. The one beer with flavor so fine, it keeps shining through glass after frosty glass. More than fermentation is one reason, but of course there's more than one reason behind the one beer to have when you're having more than one. I mean, you can see right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, team. I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm from Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, Brooklyn. Hey, isn't he? Hometown Foundation is excited to bring back the Dream Ride Experience, August 26th to the 28th at Connecticut's Farmington Polo Club. Join us in celebrating the accomplishments of our Dream Riders while enjoying live music, a car and motorcycle show, family fun zone, pet adoptions, canine demonstrations, the Fireman's Chili Cook-Off, and much, much more. Get your tickets today. Welcome back to the Mac and Jacks and Jim. This week is sports show every Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, Jack Hirsch, and Jim Jeffcoat. The Mac and Jacks show is on live Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. The uh, Glove Fist Boxing Show with Jack and Frank Hirsch. Frank, Jack and Frank Hirsch. Jack's cousin, Frank Hirsch. Also is on the show every now and then. But really, it's Frank Lotirzo that are on Glove Fist every Monday night at 7, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central. And J&B Talking Shop with Jim Jeffco and Byron Williams every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. So both of these guys have shows also, folks. Tune in to both of them. They're both great. They both do a great job. So, guys, this is the end of the show where we kind of go through some stuff. The Philly guy went long as he's trying to explain to me why the leader of his team is not the leader of his team. Uh, so, you know, it, it's pretty interesting to they me. They say he told you you don't understand, Matt. Oh, That's I don't understand. That, tell you, that, you don't understand. Right, that the leader of the team is not the leader of the team. He's got to be coddled. So I'm not sure what that means, but that's okay. So 
let's let's get to uh, the NBA playoffs last night. Miami Heat comes up big, and I think we all thought this was going to be a tough series that nobody's going to walk away with this series. They're going to go back and forth. Um, Bam Abadayo has a big game, 31 points, 10 rebounds. Jalen Brown has 40 points for the Celtics. But Miami uh, took a big lead. The Celtics kind of came back in the fourth quarter, came up short. Guys, your impressions of, of that game and the next game they'll be playing. Go ahead, Jim. Jim. Okay. Yeah, well, Miami answered the bell. I mean, Pam Adebayo, I mean, he's turning into a great number two, and uh, he's really starting to take off. And you thought after game two, the Celtics had the momentum. They were going back to their home court. They were going to take control of the series. And Miami's bench, guys like P.J. Tucker, came up big. It's like everyone got involved was a true team effort by Miami. You know, sometimes we discuss a team's mentality. What's better for them to lose a game badly or lose a close game? Sometimes it's better to get smacked around because your pride gets hurt. I think losing so badly in game two helped Miami for game three. Had Miami lost a very close game in game two, they might not have been as motivated for game three the way they were. But they played like a team that was really embarrassed the game before and wanted to restore order, and they certainly did. I think you're right. Uh, They were embarrassed. But I think also having Lowry back helped them. I think having Lowry back, the concerns that uh, Miami has going forward is Jimmy Butler's health. Yeah. Because just like Paz was talking, Butler makes a difference. He's one of those type of players. He might not look like it in the stats. But what he brings is that energy and that fight to the team. And if he can't play, that takes a lot away from the uh, Miami Heat. Well, let so me ask I, you, Jim, this. Yes. Uh, they, they beat Boston with Butler out the second half. Yeah, but you they saw win this series if They're up 2-1. Can they win the series without Jimmy Butler? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I Jimmy Butler that. brings uh, uh, just that toughness to it in that fight to it he's a defensive player he goes for the balls he's he's all around good good very good to great player and mm-hmm. and, and you need that presence on the floor especially going up against a celtic team that oh is, no question no question their bench is deep the celtics yes. that's what makes them and i i keep telling you i love the teams in the west but the celtics or miami heat are going to win the championship the so East let's get Oh. So let's uh, get count the Celtics out. I'm, I'm let's get to let's get to they that. Come back and win this. Yeah. Well, uh, Jim no, said no, either, no, either one. Jim said either one. So yeah. So let's talk about the West, right? You got the Warriors up two nothing at Dallas. Uh, Dallas, believe it or not, is favored to win tonight, which are at home, so they're going to get a little advantage. What does Dallas, uh, Jim? I'll start with you. Have to do to slow down the Warriors. The Warriors have been slowing down uh, Dallas, really. So how do they change that? First, they have to slow down the game because, uh, as we know, the Warriors are a fast-paced team. Then the next thing is they got in love with the threes. Like Jason Kidd said, they got to bring that interior, and they got to figure out a way to score in the paint because the Warriors killed them. Looney killed them in the paint, and they got to do that. And that's what happened to them. They fell in love with the three. They played five out, and they took out their big men and tried to – in the first half, it was successful, but the second half, it wasn't. So with Dallas to win the night, 
is they have to be able to play in the interior and get some points in the paint. Agreed. Jack? I thought Dallas was done when they were down 2 nothing against Phoenix. So anything I'm going to say, I mean, isn't going to have much credibility. I mean, it's easy for me to say I can't see any way for Dallas to come back, but that's what I felt against Phoenix. You know, and, and to, to piggyback what you said, Jim, when you see Clay Thompson, who is who is a good interior player too, but really just go in there and dominate the paint and 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 coincide more than he normally would. I mean, it just shows you uh, the defense that was so small that even Clay, you know, even the smaller players yeah. on the on the Warriors were going inside and just taking it to him. So mm-hmm. you're right, we definitely got to figure out that inside game. Uh, you know, you know, guys. But, let me say something. The teams that have gotten eliminated to this point. We talk about them as far as what they can do next year, but the teams that are still in the playoffs, we hold off. But with that said, the Warriors are missing James Wiseman. He comes back next year. You know, that's a legitimate big man with tons and tons of potential. So it's like the Warriors are going to be getting a great draft pick, the equivalent of that next year. No argument there. You're right. That makes it very good good point, Jack. So NHL, real quick, folks. Avalanche beat the Blues. They take a two-to-one series lead. They won five to two. That was the only game last night. Today you have the Panthers at the Lightning. The Lightning are up two nothing. The Hurricanes are up two nothing on the Rangers. They're at the Rangers, and the Flames are at the Oilers, and that's tied one to one. Some pretty exciting hockey. I don't know if uh, I'm not the biggest hockey fan. I mean, compared to the other three sports, but I do enjoy watching playoff hockey. It's very very rugged and very exciting. So uh, we'll see what happens if uh, Tampa Bay can get back to the Stanley Cup, which I think is the biggest story out there. Uh, the Rangers might be kind of big to see if they can make it, but I think it's all about Tampa Bay, guys. I think it's all about developing personalities in the NHL. Like when we talk about the NBA, who do we talk about? We talk about Luca. We talk about Curry. You know, we talk about certain big names, and then we attach them onto the team and the game is more appealing. But in hockey, you know, I know they're big names like Ovechkin, Crosby, but we don't quite feel the same way. Let me ask you this, guys. Them wearing the helmets, which they have to wear, does that take away a little bit from the charisma factor that we don't really know the play? We don't even know exactly how he looks because he has the helmet on. It's the same in football, right? I mean, come on, they wear helmets too. Uh, no, well, yeah, football, no. you got the numbers in the back, and you got, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I think I mean, so maybe that's why basketball, but you would say that you can know I, all the players, but still, I don't hockey, know. Hockey, hockey is just a different brand of sport, right? Guys? Yeah, I, I mean, agree. it just is. It doesn't have that pizzazz. Uh, it, it's it's kind of like baseball, who really doesn't until Otani showed up have that awesome. huge. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. It's tough. You either got to like hockey or you kind of say yeah, it's okay. And but playoffs, I mean, to me is is the some of the most exciting games there is uh, in all sports. So I mean, I'm getting back into hockey a little bit more and a little bit more. And I think. ESPN carrying them and the other networks carrying them is helping them out, Jack. I think I think that's helping them out a lot. I don't know whether the sport's doing anything to develop interest in the inner cities, okay? Whether they have enough youth programs to get kids involved so, and from, you know, have the cultural diversity. I think that's they really point. need that. The no, NBA you're talking has about that. hockey or baseball. 
Olympics. Are you talking about hockey or baseball? Hockey. Hockey. The ho- hockey, if you look at it, is really uh, the developmental leagues are in Canada, correct? And it's it's very overseas. popular over in Europe, in northern yeah. Europe. Yeah, overseas. Yeah, big time. That's where the that's where the ice is, right? So I mean, yeah, you know, exactly. that's, that's 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 the thing that kind of holds hockey back a little bit too. Yes. Basketball in any weather and and a pickup game, baseball, football. You know, there you can always do pickup games, and that's tough. It's tough for hockey. Um, mm. let's 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 take a quick look at boxing. Last night, we'll turn to our boxing expert, uh, Jack. Of course, Jack Hirsch. Um, Jack, last night, Benavides, as you as you predicted, pretty easy work, right? Of Lemieux, he he, he took him out in the third round. Um, if you're if you're Benavides' manager, and and you want to get that shot, who do you got to nudge, man? Who do you got? Who do you got to go bother and, and call out and and go over and knock on their door and and ha- have press conferences in front of their gyms? Who do you got to go do that to? I think that's nonsense, calling guys out, making noise. All these guys are calling one another out on social media the whole time, and they're still not fighting. It's all a bunch of nonsense. Uh, Benavides isn't in the greatest spot because he's very, very good, and it's risky to fight. And boxing is all about risk and reward. And you don't take a risk against the guy unless there's a great enough reward. In other words, even if you lose, you don't really lose because the payday is enormous. He hasn't quite gotten to that point yet. I think the answer is just keep fighting. Whoever they put in front of you, keep fighting. Chances are they're going to put guys who are inferior to you. So you still keep beating them. You get paid that way. You fight a little more than maybe you want to, but nevertheless, you keep busy. You know, it's all a mentality, mentality, guys. Uh, the old timers used to fight every like three weeks or so. They were used to that. Okay. Now, if you ask a guy to fight once every four months, it's too soon. The guy's on a two fight a year schedule for the most part. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, it's a complete mindset. That's, that's all it is. And if a guy adjusted his mindset, I'm going to fight like, let's say once a month, take Terrence Crawford. You know how Crawford should get his name out there. He should have seen his promoter, Bob Arum, and said, I want to do something different. I want to fight once a month on ESPN, and ESPN would advertise it, Crawford fight of the month. You get a little less money, but after 12 months, the money is the same, okay, or better. And he'd be fighting guys who he could basically beat in his sleep for the most part, but this way he's fighting. But to these guys, the mindset is, you know, you fight once, you take off a couple of months. And sometimes I don't think athletes understand it in sports. You know, when you lose your skills in the offseason, when you're inactive, after competition, you sit around, you know, you gain weight. And then when you start training again, you're never quite the same again. I, I mean, it sounds good. It's a shame that that people that the fighters today are scared to lose Jack, because listen, Muhammad Ali was an undefeated. Frazier was undefeated. Foreman wasn't undefeated. These are some of the greatest fighters that ever fought. Tyson wasn't undefeated and that didn't hurt them at all. And I, I just, this guy, let me just say something. This is fighter Zerdo Ramirez who's unbeaten. Who's really top of the line. He called out Benavides because mm-hmm. the two of them can't get a fight. So it's a natural matchup. 
but Benavides is looking towards uh, Canelo, but Canelo's not going to fight him for quite a while, if at all. So you have to be realistic when you call a guy out that he might actually fight you. Benavides Charlo, Jack. Uh, Charlo, it's a risky fight for Charlo. I mean, who knows what's, and which Charlo, Jamel or Jamal, okay, Charlo. Uh, and then there's this uh, Jaime Mandia, oh. an unbeaten Mexican. He was negotiating to fight Jamal Charlo, the one with an A at the end. That fell through. The promoters couldn't get it together. And these guys, it's like a juggling act. They got different promoters, and it's so hard to get these fights together. It's uh, so. So let me let me tell the folks: the twenty fourth, we're going to have a special, fixing boxing, where Jack Hirsch, Franco Tirzo, Russell Peltz, and the Iceman John Scully, we're going to fix this problem because we have got Congress involved. That's the scenario. And we're going to tell everybody how we fix boxing. So, guys, uh, quick news on Snyder. Of course, as Jim brought up, there has been breaking an uh, owner over anonymity. Am I saying it right? Or anonymy? I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, they He said that if this is true, which they, they it probably is, that Snyder was withholding uh, uh, money from the other teams, uh, that they're counting votes, as Jim said, and it would be the last nail in the coffin. Now, there hasn't been – it's very rare to remove an owner, right? The Panthers did it. The 49ers did it. I think there are only two in history that I remember, Jim. I, I, Jack. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So I think those are the two owners that were actually removed uh, by the other owners. This – could be another example. In fact, some owners are complaining on how easy Goodell has taken it on Snyder. They're a little worried that maybe he knows some things that will start the dominoes falling, and that's why Goodell has kind of stayed away from him and has been nice with him. You guys think there's any validity to that? Go ahead, well, I'm gonna, Yeah, I, I'm going to say first, uh, you make a good point. If they remove Dan Snyder, he sues and stuff comes out. You know, it's interesting. Dan Snyder's laid low for the last couple of years, okay? Very quiet, and it's still biting him. No matter how quiet he is and his hirings have shown diversity, you know, the last couple of years, they're still after Dan Snyder. So, uh, but if he's cheated his fellow owners out of revenues, I mean, how can they overlook that? Yeah, I think you have a serious issue. Because owners are probably PO'd that he did that if this uh, administrator is telling the truth. And we don't know that yet, but he did do it in front of Congress. And there's a lot of things. And Snyder's had a bad reputation ever since he's been in the NFL. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're trying to get him out. But that's going to be a – you talk about billions of dollars. Whoever gets that organization is going to have to pay quite a bit. There's only a few people – in America that it can afford to pay as much. As yeah, I think, I think, I think me, you and me, me, you and Jack might have a shot at it, but just a little bit, but Jim, how about the question? The reason why they haven't yet, because the Panthers owner got thrown out just for sexual harassment uh, uh, claims. He got tossed. They haven't done that to Snyder. So I think they're trying to get all their chips in a row before they do it. Because they, like you said, it's going to be a big fight. It's going to be a huge fight, like Jack said. 
And I think they want to make sure they have everything and all the reasons why they're doing it. And they might let them go out gracefully. Snyder might say, forget this. Get my um, nah, he's never gonna get my eight billion, but that's eight billion dollars and not having the headache. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, Jim. I don't know. In Washington, I I, I mean, I don't, I I don't know if he, I don't know if he would, uh, if he would go along with that because he's so when he does come out and say some things, he's very abrupt and very confrontational about a lot of things. I don't know. You might be right. Maybe he just says the hell with it and runs out, rides off into the sunset. Yeah. But I think I think there's a little bit more to this than what everybody knows. And I think that's why the owners haven't taken action yet. And there, I think there's something under the surface there. In fact, I can almost, if you put two and two together, there's mm-hmm. something there that they don't want getting out. And, yeah, and, and it's most likely because, but they're going to open the books anyway. Yeah, now they're going to have to. They're so going to have a lot of things. Yes, a hundred percent right, folks. That's the end of our show today. I want to thank you for joining us again. Thanks for for all the views and the shares and the comments. It's your show too, so we enjoy having you aboard again. Dallas versus the Warriors tonight. Three more hockey games tonight. Everything's happening. The NFL is always in the news, good or bad. So enjoy your Sundays, folks. And again, thanks for tuning in the Mac, Jack, and Jim This Week in Sports. Have a great day. Have a great Sunday.